0: When you grow up in a world where you feel like you are less worthy and unlovable, that becomes a core belief. And if you live with that belief for decades, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to start to tear down that belief and start building up a new narrative about yourself.
1: perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. This week, I want to welcome Madeline Papelka. We even practiced that before the show. Madeline is a writer, trauma survivor, and mental health advocate. She created the largest trauma healing community on Instagram, healing from PTSD. She was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, but grew up in an Asian-American household where mental health was never discussed. She struggled with her mental health for her entire life, including intergenerational trauma as a daughter of a refugee. She went from feeling broken and damaged beyond repair, suffering in isolation, to learning and teaching in a growing community. Now, featured in publications such as Newsweek and Cosmopolitan, as well as her new book, You're Going to Be Okay, Madeline has forged a new path for herself beyond her PTSD. And she states, after being on my healing journey for years, I have a profound sense of internal peace and freedom that I never thought would be possible. And she's here to share some of those lessons with us today. So welcome, Madeline, to the show. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself?
0: yes absolutely and thank you so much for having me and creating the space to have conversations like these so yeah a little bit more about myself and my story i went through several traumatic experiences throughout my life but because they weren't quote unquote that bad and they could have been worse i just continuously buried my pain and always tried to move on And these experiences ranged from my mother who experienced very severe trauma as a Vietnamese refugee, threatening to beat me when I was a kid, to sexual assault in college and just being violated by men on many occasions. It also included getting chased and running for my life. And then the last traumatic experience that really set off All my PTSD symptoms was witnessing the aftermath of my friend getting drugged and assaulted. And about six years ago, it all caught up to me. I just kept on trying to move past these traumatic experiences and telling myself to get over it. But it all caught up to me and all my trauma symptoms bubbled up. And they completely disrupted my life and made it impossible to work or sleep or do anything other than stay in my house and cry. And I was ultimately diagnosed with PTSD. And when I received that diagnosis, I was deeply ashamed because I didn't know anyone else in my life who was struggling with PTSD. And because the experiences that I went through seemed so, quote, unquote, small, I felt ashamed because I thought that I should have just been able to get over what I'd been through. So because I carried so much shame, I suffered in isolation, but once I got to a certain point on my healing journey and had been in therapy for a while and I felt stable enough, I was inspired to start sharing my story with other trauma survivors who to help them feel less alone and to help them feel validated in their experiences so that's where i got to where i am today
1: well thank you for sharing and this is definitely a safe space I want to remind listeners to take the time that you need to process whatever you might be feeling with some of the things we'll talk about on the show. We're not going to go into the details of individual trauma, but more how to recognize what you might be feeling. And I think what is unique about your story, Madeline, is it's not like you fought in a war or had some of these, as you called it, like big or as sometimes it's called in the medical literature, trauma with a capital T experiences. And I wanna remind listeners that everyone will experience some kind of trauma in their life. There is no perfect scenario for us all. And it is part of what builds resilience in us and creates positivity in who we grow to be, the life lessons that we learn sometimes, but sometimes, It doesn't provide that kind of opportunity if we haven't had the space to process it or felt safe or all of those kinds of things. And so I was doing some research before the show and I was, I don't know, I was surprised, but then sadly, not really, that about 5% of all adults have PTSD in a given year. So 13 million Americans and even higher numbers eight out of every 100 women will have PTSD at some point in her life. And so I would actually argue that number is probably much less than people realize because they're being diagnosed with like anxiety or depression or health issues associated with where we store some of this trauma in our body that I know a lot of my listeners probably can identify with. And... We all went through a collective trauma through the pandemic. Like we we've talked about that on the show before. We've also talked about like ACE experiences and childhood and how that affects both mental and physical health long term. So I know we've talked a lot about this, but today's show, I kind of want to focus on these little things that build up that can really have a significant effect on our well-being. And I know for me, it wasn't until my husband and I were in our late 30s that we realized that we had some unresolved, specifically childhood traumas. And like you, Madeline, ours was caused by our brother- dying and all of the emotions and things that went into that he suffered from mental health issues he suffered from substance abuse because of that and so there was a lot that went into that in terms of family history and what we'd experienced in childhood and up to that point leading it and i know for me it affected my health for a really long time to not address some of these things that I was, as you said, pushing down or trying to get over it and holding on to those things in my body. So one of the things that I wanted to share was a quote from Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us, where she had on Dr. Bruce Perry, who works with Oprah, who was talking about trauma. And he describes it in a way that I think was really eye-opening for me, for us all to think about, because I think sometimes we... we tell ourselves that if we say we've had trauma then that means that we're insulting our family or we're saying that we've had Mm -hmm. a terrible life and really like these are moments in time and we need to all be able to recognize that everybody has them and when we deny them it creates more problems so i liked his explanation which is that trauma shapes our brain how our stress response system is completely affected by what we've lived through I think about trauma as any pattern of activating your stress response system that leads to an alteration in how that system is functioning. And that leads to an overactivity and an overreactivity. And if we think about that, like you might encounter, I've had encounters with snakes. I was once chased by a water snake. And I had an experience Mm -hmm. in college where like a snake, I was climbing stairs and a snake went through my legs. I was wearing a skirt as I climbed the stairs and it went underneath me and those were traumatic experiences for me. I did not process them and now I have like this irrational fear of snakes that I'm trying to work through. That has nothing to do with like my parents or anything like that. It was really like an experience that I had where I did not process the fear that I was having in those moments and it created... A pattern in my brain that activated a stress response. And so I think mm-hmm. it's important to think about trauma from that perspective and not just like, yes. oh, what did someone do wrong, right? It's how right. we process those things. So I'm curious, Madeline, based on your experience and the PTSD community and the support that you do, how does this map to some of what you hear and see?
0: Yeah, so I personally am not a fan of classifying trauma as big T and small T. For this reason, this explanation that you just shared from Dr. Bruce Perry, because trauma isn't necessarily the event that happened. It is our unique response to what happened. And it's about how the events have affected us and affected the way that we can function. So yes, it's like any experience that is terrifying or stressful enough to leave us feeling profoundly unsafe is trauma. And for myself and many survivors in my community, we didn't develop PTSD from one single event. We developed it from a series of events for or for being in a traumatic environment for a prolonged period. So a series of quote unquote small T traumas can still lead to severe PTSD. And on top of all this, oftentimes these traumatic experiences that don't seem that bad get dismissed because they don't seem severe enough. It's like a lot of people think that the big T traumas are the only ones that matter and they tell us to get over it or to just move on. And sometimes we even tell those things to ourselves, but that dismissal and minimization causes more pain which just makes it harder to heal. And oftentimes, it prevents us from getting the help and support that we need and prevents us from creating space to heal from those experiences.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think when I think about some of the small T traumas, I also think about just being born into a world that is set up to Create stereotypes or bias or discrimination. And whether intentional or not, those things exist, right? And yeah. I think about the people who experience microaggressions on a regular basis and how that would be like a bunch of small T traumas that would be like death by paper cuts, so to speak, right? Like these feelings of how your body is responding to people treating you differently than somebody else. And That can be based Mm -hmm. on religion or gender or a variety of things that we all experience that, again, have nothing to do with whether or not we grew up in a loving home. I think for me, like this all came to light when I started fostering and had children in my home who had, by the definition of being in the foster system, had a big T trauma. But then working through some of the issues they were having, there were a lot of other things that happened in their life and in our own life that we needed to work through to be able to properly support someone experiencing those things. And I think what's interesting to me is the idea that we as a community are starting to be more open about mental health. We're starting to understand the impact that it has. I talk oftentimes, like, I don't think that mental health is separate from regular health. Like our brain runs everything in our body, right? So we have to prioritize it above everything else if we're trying to focus on our physical well being, our brain has to be healthy in order for that to happen. What are some of the small T traumas and the impacts that a lot of the people in your community have experienced? Have you seen people, you know, from a societal perspective in terms of microaggression, gender, race, religion come up? Or is it more specific experiences that people can identify?
0: oh it's definitely both like racism sexism transphobia xenophobia ableism that compounded with all these other things like harassment bullying other traumas that are often invalidated or dismissed or like chronic pain like Experiencing unemployment, verbal abuse, divorce, witnessing violence or something take place, even though it's not directly happening to you. Like that's something that I experienced. And it can still, even if you're just witnessing violence, it can make you feel profoundly unsafe and can truly shake you to your core. But yeah, it's something that people often invalidate because you didn't go through it yourself. But yes, all these types of traumatic experiences build up over time. And at times we like if it's a societal perception or the way that people are treated in the world based on race or gender or sexual orientation it can lead to ptsd but also complex ptsd symptoms which is when you experience trauma for a prolonged period or there are multiple events that lead to it and that can lead to severe anxiety nightmares insomnia panic but also low self-esteem and negative self image which is in my experience, has been the most challenging part of the healing journey. Just because when you grow up in a world where you feel like you are less worthy and unlovable, that becomes a core belief. And if you live with that belief for decades, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to start to tear down that belief and start Building up a new narrative about yourself.
2: This podcast is sponsored by Hello Flesh, and I finally took over control of the podcast. But unfortunately, I now need to share with my co-host. <laughs>
1: um, Wesley's back, and he is sharing with us how. HelloFresh is our family's literal back-to-school savior. I cannot believe we waited so long to try it. And I've got the best discount code yet. 50% off plus 15% off the next two months with code 50 view.
2: Trust me, it'll make your life easier. But it's still of flavor. Seriously. Plus 50% off? That's half free.
1: And because HelloFresh is the first carbon-neutral meal kit company committed to offsetting 100% of direct carbon emissions and they use peak summer produce, HelloFresh makes sure that you get all the best picks all season long. Their ingredients travel from the farm to your door in less than seven days for quality you can taste. It's why I chose them, and I love that it's empowering our teens to cook.
2: Each of us kids have a day to cook dinner. Wesley Wednesday, Finn Friday... And HelloFresh has taken all the stress of bickering and what should I make away, and instead delivers us customizable, tasty meals we've all been enjoying. I've been eating smash burgers. That
1: was that your favorite one so far?
2: Yeah, because yeah. it's smash burgers.
1: I think been. we're pretty picky about flavor, Wesley. How have you liked the meals, and have they been easy to make? Yeah, I do like meals. And are they easy to make?
2: Yeah, they are easy mug. They're so simple and clear. Each of us kids have made them made the meals by ourselves. Except for a little help from dad, but that's partially because like I it's like easy stuff, like you know, like making sauce. Because my dad is goaded with the sauce. Do
1: you feel like you're learning more each meal?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've been getting some questions, so I do want to explain. Each meal tells you every ingredient and the recipe when you select it for the week. While they have plans for many lifestyles, you can really customize each meal by simply leaving a spice blend out if you don't do nightshades or sub the dairy for a dairy-free alternative. It's meant that we get a huge variety of options from the 40 recipes to choose from.
2: All of us kids like the flavor and variety of meals. No wonder why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit.
1: Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50wholeview and use code 50wholeview for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50wholeview and use code 50wholeview for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. I what you're saying really resonates with me. And I know this isn't in the show notes that I prepared, but I want to share a little bit. I'm taking this Harvard business course right now on the influence of power on people. And the course Mm. talks about how power doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing if we're coming from a place of intention and understanding the power that we yield on others. And there was a module that talked about what motivates people to understand like where a lot of power comes from and the two core concepts are people are influenced by feeling unsafe or safe and people who are feeling lack of self-esteem and if you can help build up their confidence and so we see oftentimes that What was interesting to me is when I was thinking about the course and also what we're talking now, like I can think about times where people are harmed, people have trauma from someone helping them feel unsafe, right? Not helping them feel unsafe, but for whatever reason impacted by feeling unsafe, whether, you know, all the scenarios that you gave or just not trusting someone because of a past experience, right? Like all of these things build up and then it is hard to break that habit because it is the pathway that your brain has created based on your own trauma response or also from like a negative self-esteem perspective like if you've been told you're less than your whole life either because you went to a school where you didn't feel like you belonged and you didn't have the right friend group again not a specific trauma it doesn't have to be bullying it doesn't have to be whatever it can just be like a lack of belonging Both of those Mm -hmm. things feed to negative feelings, whereas at the same time, you can build up someone's self-esteem by helping them feel confident, by helping them see the positive things in themselves and all of this. And you can help someone feel safe by giving them safe space, by giving them assurances, by building trust. And when I was listening to you talk, I was thinking of examples in modern society where people in positions of power yield those mechanisms to drive their own agenda right like if we think about the political landscape is often coming from a place of fear because it's getting to the root of someone's lack of safety it's getting Mm. to the root of someone's lack of well if someone else is successful and i'm not then i'm less than right like this Mm. comparative nature and I, i just think it was interesting to think about how really what that is people playing on other people's traumas right like this Mm. this like concept of immigration policy for perspective is often about the fear that someone is going to enter the country and do some sort of harm to the people who are here that is a fear-based prerogative it's coming from a place of saying you're unsafe that you might be unsafe if this happens and so It's an interesting perspective to think about, okay, now how do we approach it from from the mindset of building someone up to feel empowered and safe and all of these things, because it's more than just individual, it's community perspective. And I guess while you were talking and also these things that I'm still processing from the course that I'm taking, like it just it really plays into this idea that we all have some sort of trauma in some sort of way to get to the root of, as you said, the self-esteem perspective and the safety perspective. Those are the kind of core things that drive us to be influenced.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Curious about your belief that advocating for your own mental well-being is as you say, the most selfless act you can do. And so while we're talking about this idea of self-esteem and being selfish and all of these things, I think it's important that we have to start taking accountability and ownership for recognizing some of these things in the world around us, right? Like we can't change what other people do, but we can change our reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And we have to do work in order for that to happen. Can you share a little bit how you did that from how you grew up, how you processed all your things and how it feels selfless for you. Cause I know a lot of listeners tell me it feels very selfish and that feels like a negative thing. And for me, I'm like, selfish is not always a bad thing. It's not a four letter word. It's not a dirty word. Like we're put into this world by ourselves. It's okay that sometimes we do things for ourselves.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I'm a firm believer that investing in your healing is an act of love to both yourself and your loved ones and every single person that you interact with because when we're no longer suffering we're more patient we're more caring and we can show up better for others but so a little but yeah i didn't grow up with this belief like As I mentioned earlier, my mom went through some of the most intense traumatic experiences that I heard of from growing up in Vietnam where corporal punishment was the norm and she experienced beatings regularly and she lived there in the war during the war and the devastation following the war where she faced starvation and had no employment opportunities and needed to beg for food to survive and then escaping her country on a small fishing boat with nothing but the clothes on her back and living in a refugee camp for nearly two years. And when she was granted asylum and could finally make her way to the US, she thought that it was heaven. She was like hopeful and had a fresh start and wasn't looking back on her past at all and was just really happy to be here and was really only focusing on the future. And I don't think she realized how her past was affecting her current stress levels and her reactions when i was growing up like she knew that getting physical with children was not acceptable here in the united states but when she got triggered and grew frustrated with me that's when she'd explode and chase me around the house with a broom threatening to beat me but not harming me physically and she didn't know how that could have impacted me but i can imagine that if she did Put some work into healing some of those emotional wounds because she had been through so much. I think my childhood would have been different because when we're in pain and we don't tend to it, it can affect everyone around us, even if we aren't intentionally harming people. And I didn't understand all this growing up. I just felt like I was damaged and unlovable because of the way that my mom treated me and uh, as i've grown and started to learn more about trauma and intergenerational trauma i've started to see things from a different perspective where i do have compassion for my mom it doesn't erase the harm and the pain that i've been through but she did have it really rough and i like just have compassion for what she'd gone through and when we talk about healing intergenerational trauma, we typically talk about breaking cycles. And while my mom did pass some trauma on to me, I also want to acknowledge that she did break some cycles. Like I never faced starvation like she did. She always made sure that my basic needs like food and housing were met because that is some trauma that she went through and she was like, my kids are not going to suffer like that. So I didn't have to suffer some of the same trauma that she did, but I can't imagine that things may have been different had she put some more work into healing her emotional wounds.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you sharing all of that and can see what you're talking about. And I myself know that a lot of us are trying to break generational trauma and whether it be something like diet culture that persists Mm -hmm. and is harmful or is something like physical abuse or starvation or severe neglect like all of these things are very different how we process them and how our brain develops as children when we're going through it however is unfortunately negative regardless right unless we yeah unless we feel self-esteem like we're just There is absolutely no way for your brain to develop in a healthy way. Right. I wonder, like, let's say someone is listening and realizing right now, like, oh, I maybe did have some trauma that I didn't realize I needed to work on and heal from. I want to do the work that it sounds like your mom didn't have the opportunity to do. Like, where do I even start to do that so that the next generation behind me can you know see benefit from that work where does someone start
0: yeah so i would say well first i just want to acknowledge that healing looks different for everyone and there are a million different paths one could take because everyone's experience is different and we're all facing different challenges and we have different preferences and access to care but so i just wanted to start off with that but the first thing that i would suggest is to be really honest with yourself about how your trauma is impacting you and it could be really hard to admit that we're struggling but the longer that we avoid addressing it the longer we'll delay our healing and if someone's listening and they're at the point where it is like they've experienced trauma and they're at the point where it is hard to function like the symptoms are so intense that you can't work or sleep or carry out your day it would be really beneficial to seek support from a professional to help you navigate through the symptoms because it can be so hard and sometimes impossible to do it on your own because it is It can be so overwhelming when you're consumed by these symptoms and that may mean going to a trauma informed therapist or a psychiatrist or it may mean going to a support group which are often run by therapists and One thing that I love about support groups is, well, they are typically low cost or free, but then you can also be in it with other survivors who have gone through maybe similar experiences, which can help you feel less alone, which for me has been huge because it can feel so isolating when you are struggling and you don't know anyone else who is going through it. And even if you're at the point where you don't have severe, symptoms you don't have to wait to go see a therapist like you don't have to wait until things are really bad so if that's what you're interested in and if you have access to it like i would say go for it but if you're in the patient in position where you know your symptoms aren't too bad and you aren't like ready for that kind of support One thing that I would highly suggest is just to start building self-awareness, like take note of your thoughts and feelings and how they're impacting you and your symptoms, like take note of what helps you feel better, what helps you feel nurtured or safe or comforted, like start to identify your triggers. Self-awareness is such a critical skill when it comes to healing, because the more that you understand yourself, the more information that you have to work with to eventually heal.
1: I would 100% agree with everything you just said. I did therapy several times throughout my life, but where I got the most benefit was actually going to partnership therapy. So before my husband and I were even legally married, we went to therapy together to learn how to like, better communicate. And it really helped me see more of myself through someone else's lens. Because I think oftentimes, we don't realize that maybe we have maladaptive coping skills, because I was yelled at a lot as a child, my response is just thinking that's what you do when you're angry, versus how someone else might feel getting yelled at by someone that they love right like that could be traumatic probably was for me hence the maladaptive coping skills but then there's also opportunity in group support where when people are sharing their own traumas or experiences for me it was like a light bulb moment of like oh i remember that thing that i pushed so deep that i forgot about yes and like, yes. I, could, I couldn't bring that up in therapy when I was just going by myself because I literally had pushed it so deep that in talking and in doing the things like it, it wasn't there for us to even talk about but in hearing someone else share their experience or a story. I don't know it just. It really helped me identify much more self-identify things that I didn't realize had happened or that had been traumatic. And I had tried to remember them a different way or forget them or different things. And even just that realization in group therapy and being able to say, yeah, that happened to me. And that was really scary. Like even just that in and of itself was huge. And then being able to process from there
0: for sure yeah thank you so much for sharing that because that is so true especially i feel like with things that happened in our childhood when we spent our lives trying to forget things that happened in order to survive in order to continue living like they're just buried so deep and sometimes it does take someone else or listening to someone's story or reading a book about something that happened to trigger that memory and you're like wait a minute and then it can be like okay this all makes sense now and it can yeah it can offer a lot of really valuable insights by finding the support group or finding the community that can that you can relate to
2: this podcast is sponsored by Babel I've taken over again but unfortunately I got to bring it over to my co-host why can't I have everything?
1: Get 55% off a subscription. People are back to school and you can be too.
2: Saya I Pobla CC Moja podcast? You're back sharing about learning about Polish? I hear one in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, check out Babbel because they speak language in just three weeks. Yeah,
1: people can start speaking a new language in just three weeks with their immersive approach babel is designed by real people for real conversations all of babel's tips and tools for learning a new language are approachable accessible rooted in real life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching how's it been going for you wesley
2: uh it's been going pretty good um i've learned a lot of polish words like i've learned water (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay. Have you been enjoying um, the way that you learn a
2: language on Dabble? Oh yeah, I do. How is it different? Because instead of making it so that it teaches you singular words one at a time, and making it so that it then shows you sentences where you can put those words into, which which doesn't really work because I mean, some just slight letter variations and combinations can make totally different things. Just look Mm. at the English alphabet. Mm -hmm. It teaches you real sentences and then teaches you the words so that you have a more realistic understanding of the language.
1: Interesting. Contextual understanding, so to speak. Yep. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babel is better. For instance, one study found that using Babel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. If you want to start speaking a new language with Babbel, here's a special limited time deal for our listeners to get started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash
2: wholeview. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash wholeview, spelled Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com wholeview. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, can I get back to the podcast? Can, can I be in the podcast?
1: You want to come back on? No, no
2: I, can I be, it? wait, no, hey, 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 no, no, I want to be in the actual podcast. No!
1: It's my birthday weekend and I want to give you a gift. But I cannot share publicly, so go to realeverything.com slash September for an exclusive offer for podcast listeners. As the cooler weather sets in, our skincare routine needs adjustments, and often so does our color makeup. I'd love to help you switch to safer this autumn. Made with sustainable, fair trade, and skin nourishing ingredients, Beauty Counter is raising up beauty. It's a little luxury that makes a positive impact on our health for all of our collective communities through legislative change and giving back, as well as for the earth through sustainable manufacturing practices. We're getting safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws, while also giving back to people and planet as a certified B Corp. Go to beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth, just like any other website. Don't forget to check out my special private deal just for you listeners. Go to realeverything.com slash September for more details. And when shopping Beauty Counter, choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, so I can thank you. So one of the things that... I know I've mentioned, and I see a lot that is also a way for people to identify as this term maladaptive coping, which is probably a term that not everybody understands. And what that means is like, when you're experiencing something that is affecting your safety or your self-esteem, you create in your head a response to protect yourself that isn't actually helpful. Like your brain thinks... This is going to help me. This is going to protect me. But in reality, it's no longer serving you. Right. And I recently heard a talk by Jay Shetty where he gave an example of like, you need a raft while you're on the river. And like, you, you literally would not survive without the raft. And then you get out of the river and you're along in a forest. If you're still carrying the raft, it's going to make it a lot harder to go through the forest versus if you just leave Mm. the raft by the forest and then you walk through on your own. And I thought it was a really good analogy to like these coping skills that we develop when we need them in those moments that are no longer serving us. And as someone who I work with people, children who have extreme PTSD, just complex, like extreme, (laughs) extremely complex PTSD, I find that there are a lot of things that they're carrying that aren't serving them But in doing so, like I said, that awakens me to the things that I'm doing that aren't serving me. So I'm wondering when we're looking at our lives, right, like whether it's we get a rush of feelings at a certain anniversary or a holiday or things sneak up on us, or if we find ourselves reacting immediately to anger about something and wondering like, why does that make me angry? Where does the anger come from? Usually it's rooted in sadness, right? Like, how can we go about realizing some of these things that we're doing these maladaptive coping skills to work on that change, like when we're in those moments ourselves?
0: For sure. So I think like going back to self awareness, like, that's, I feel like step number one is recognizing when we are falling back into this way of coping that we've, because when you've been doing it for your entire life, it can be really hard to recognize it. And sometimes it does take someone else, whether it's a therapist or you see it in someone else to like use that information to reflect. It's just like self-awareness, being aware that you're doing it in the first place is step number one. And then um Finding more supportive ways to cope, whether it be like a grounding, like if you're overwhelmed with emotions, like maybe it's a grounding exercise or a breathing exercise, and having like a new tool in your back pocket so you can instead of just like pushing the feelings away or trying to move past them like that, take the time to actually process them in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming, which again is a practice. All these things that you'd like learn in therapy, grounding, breathing exercises, all that takes practice in order for it to actually work, which is annoying, but that's that that is the unfortunate way of of learning these coping skills but then i would also say to remember to be really gentle with yourself because when we get triggered or we have a certain reaction i think it's really easy to criticize yourself and be like oh my like why did i do that and i think while it's important to like hold ourselves accountable and be able to take information to learn it's not going to help you get better if you are just beating yourself down i think it's really important to meet yourself with compassion and try to comfort yourself because comforting yourself is what's going to help you move forward because if we're just criticizing ourselves it's really hard to get stuck in that state where we're just picking ourselves apart that it's really hard to actually be able to move forward so acknowledge and validate your feelings like let yourself cry if you need to do things that help you self-soothe and part of the healing work is figuring out what helps you self-soothe and i know you mentioned like an anniversary or a triggering date or season i think you know, a lot of us struggle with trauma anniversaries or seasons. Like the holiday season is always really hard for me because I have like a traumatic experience happened on Christmas Eve. So it's just, I just have that association. And I think if you can relate to that, and if you know that there is a challenging date or season coming up for you, try to plan ahead and prepare for it. Like get the extra support that you need, whether from a friend or family member or therapist and tap into your people to help you lighten your load and limit your sources of stress to make things more manageable so you can get through that season and you aren't going back to your old ways of coping.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate all of that. And I think that The idea of things like breathing exercises can be so powerful and we use them in our home, both for PTSD as well as like I have a neurodivergent child with impulse control issues like teaching just to take a pause and to do those breathing exercises like just take three deep breaths and then tell me Mm -hmm. how you're feeling. it's just really hard to implement those in an environment where your therapist isn't there, right? Like you're practicing when you're not escalated and then you're on your own when you have these things come up. And so asking those around you to participate in some of that in like a supportive way. I know for me, Mm. I had to express to my partner, I'm working on like working through being calm when I am feeling escalated like instead of yelling instead of having this immediate response I want to try to like re-regulate and process and then tell you how I'm feeling I'm working on that and when it happens I need you to x y or z to help me realize that it's happening or if you see me pause and walk away like don't be triggered that I'm abandoning it. Understand that I'm like taking a minute to process. I'm going to come back. And I think those preemptive communications and getting the people that are around you on board is really important because otherwise they're going to see a change in behavior and that might be concerning for them, right? Like if you've been doing a maladaptive coping skill that's alarming and now that's suddenly like, well, I knew at least what to expect in those moments and now you're doing something I don't know what to expect, that can also be scary. So I just think that the more we can communicate and the more we can get people around us engaged in that process is important. And I think in order to do that, the vocabulary that I use, and I'm curious if you have different words or like how to articulate this, is I use the phrase a lot like a safe space right like okay we're going to mm-hmm. have a conversation and we're going to hold space for each other and we're going to like make this a safe space to ensure that everybody understands okay we're it's really important that we stay regulated because we're going to talk about something that's difficult and if we start to feel ourselves be dysregulated we're going to pause and we're going to hold <laughs> that space yes. because otherwise it becomes out of control but i recognize that those terms might Like when someone hears the word hold space for someone or safe space, like that, people might not know what that means or how to react. For sure. Do you have different words or like, how do you create that?
0: Yeah, no, I use safe space and holding space a lot. And for me, and I think a lot of other trauma survivors too, creating a safe space involves allowing someone to show up as themselves with all their emotions, without fear of being judged, criticized, or dismissed. Being fully present for someone without trying to fix them, without trying to offer unsolicited advice, or asking a bunch of invasive questions, just because I can be one year regulated like you can't. So, it's too hard to articulate things. Sometimes it means giving that person your undivided attention and listening, like don't be distracted on your phone because that makes you feel like unimportant. And I think it really at the core of it, it's about reminding people that they aren't alone and that you'll be there by their side and that you'll get through it together. And I've done a lot of like a lot of polls on Instagram, a lot of conversations with my community about the best way that they want support from people in their lives. And while everyone does want support in different ways, listening has been like the number one always because at the end of the day, we just wanna be seen and heard and validated.
1: So well stated, and it's been a huge lesson for me because I am such a problem solver by nature. Someone's like, Let me tell you about this problem, and I immediately go into, and this is how we're going to solve it, without realizing that a majority of the time, people just want to share and to express their feelings and to feel validated, and not for you to solve their problem. And this is even something that has come up for me as just the mother of teenagers not even within the realm of PTSD but like in the realization that my kids might come to me about a frustrating day or like an experience that they've had at school and they might be telling me like something about their teacher for example and I might immediately want to jump to well I'm going to email the teacher and I'm going to fix whatever but really what they want is for me to just be like gosh that sucks that sounds like you didn't have a great experience do you want me to solve this problem or do you just want me to be here and listen Mm -hmm. like that question Mm -hmm. has been profoundly important for me to always pause and say the validating statement first like I hear you that sucked whatever it was right like to recognize I heard you And is that what you want from me in this moment? Or do you want me to solve a problem? And it it has Mm -hmm. been eye-opening for me. How often they're like, no, I don't need you to solve the problem. I got it. How many years did I spend like creating all this additional stress for myself to try to solve everybody's (laughs) problems and nobody wanted my my solutions? (laughs) They just wanted me to listen. Like, gosh, that's so much easier. But yeah, it's not easier in the sense of like, If That's not innate to me, right? I have to pause and to create that space. And I have to, like, slowing down and pausing and just listening is not in my nature, while it is the easier thing to do than to solve a problem. So I'm wondering, yeah, yeah, I'm wondering if that's one of your 16 lessons from your new book is like this kind of pause and hold space. I know you have your it's going to be okay let me make sure I'm yes you're going to be okay we'll put a link in the show notes for listeners and people can also find out more information at your website madelinepapalka.com again we'll put all of those on there or you can go to instagram at healing from ptsd but one of the things that I was curious to know more about and This idea of there being kind of 16 lessons that you've learned, both yourself through your community and all this kind of stuff into this assurance of, okay, so you've been through something traumatic, we all have, if someone has PTSD or is just not able to fully process their trauma, what are some of the ways that we can work towards finally healing from that and I wanted to leave on this because I always like to leave listeners with something like positive or actionable or some sort of suggestion that they can take forward and do today because otherwise it's like oh my gosh all the things I have all the stuff that I need to do and then you don't know where to start and you're left wondering what next
0: yeah absolutely so one one of the 16 lessons that I feel compelled to share right now is lesson number 11 which is Hold space for the goodness. Like we were talking about holding space just now for like the pain and the hard times. But when you're dealing with trauma and you're struggling with symptoms, it can feel like your world is limited to your suffering. Like when I think about it really felt like I had tunnel vision and it's like trauma can trick you into thinking that good things in your life don't exist but there could be good things happening in your life. But when we're so consumed by our pain and when we're so focused on our pain, we don't even acknowledge the good things that are happening. And I've learned that healing is just as much about letting your letting yourself experience the good things as it is about working through your pain and leaning into the little pockets of joy that you experience each day can not only feel you help you feel more content but it makes a healing journey more endurable because it is hard and we need those those little moments to help us keep moving forward and to for me it helps keep hope alive it's like okay these are these little things are what i'm here for i'm not i don't exist to suffer each day so in the book i do have an exercise that i learned from my therapist and i share about it and all the insights around it but for listeners here today i would like you to challenge yourself to name at least one good thing that happened to you today and that good thing can be something small like enjoying a delicious cup of coffee or going on a walk feeling the sunshine catching up with a friend cuddling with your dog like a good thing can be anything that made you smile or helped you feel more calm or happy or good and when i first tried to think about a good thing in my life, I thought that it had to be extraordinary. Like I thought that it had to be like, oh, like I'm going on this fun adventure or, oh, I'm getting a promotion. or Because in order for something to qualify as a good thing, I thought that it had to be extraordinary. But once I shifted my perspective to find the goodness in the little things, I started training my brain to try to recognize that i started to feel so much more content and when i first started doing this exercise i was really depressed and this was one thing that helped bring me out of that depression was identifying the good things in my life holding space for them acknowledging that they're there and it just really helped me feel more grounded i
1: have been doing that myself i've been doing three good things so I would say love that you know, once once you're feeling in a groove of one good thing like before I go to bed every night I'm like okay what are three good things that happened today yes and I think what has been eye-opening for me is the realization of how I identify good things versus yes. what societal expectations are of good things right because someone might get a promotion and now they're going to be working more and less time with their family and suddenly this thing that they thought was great is actually not actually contributing to good things in their life and it's really helped me also parse out some of the things that I value and that are really important and like yeah. quality time with my family or the dogs or like just a moment where we laugh together or we sang and dance to a song like these are things that I find myself like holding that space for and recognizing those good things and not like, oh, I bought a pair of shoes today. Like that's not what comes to (laughs) my mind. And so it helped shift my perspective on where I want to focus my energy and all of that kind of stuff or catch myself in, am I using retail therapy as a maladaptive coping skill? Because I think it's going to give me this like rush of, positive endorphins or serotonin or whatever it is in my brain, when really, like, then I'm just going to be stressed that I spent money later. And what I wanted was like a hug from someone. And I think the yeah. more you the more you recognize the good things that you acknowledge, the more self-awareness you have about your habits and the different things that you're doing. It's just like a, a snowball of goodness, right? It's like, it's putting you on that path. So yeah, I
0: absolutely. Agree. And I love that you practice this before bed too. I feel like that's such like a good way to like wrap up the end of the day and then also having it's like you're priming your brain for like, these are the good things. I'm going to sleep well instead so, like because a lot of us with PTSD suffer from insomnia and nightmares. So ending things on a good note, I think
1: is a great transition
0: into sleep.
1: Yeah. And I just want to remind listeners, you can find links to all of the things that we've talked about, specifically Madeline's book. And I've also put a link into NAMI.org, which is a place where you can find support groups. There's a lot of different types of support groups, but that's a nationwide for those who are in the U.S. I don't know if they're international, place where you can, I know, find resources and all of the other things that we've referred to today can be found there. And Madeline, I want to thank you so much for your time today and helping people understand um, hopefully themselves a little bit better. And I love that we're ending on a good thing. It's not it's <laughs> not all bad. It's not all doom and gloom. Honestly, yeah. I know sometimes it's hard to admit that bad things have happened because you don't want to sit in like the negative and you think, oh, I'm just dwelling on my past. I need to get over it. But really you're holding on to it if you don't like acknowledge and move forward into these positive ways. So I appreciate your willingness to share your experiences and to go there with us today. And I know that we've helped at least some listeners somewhere <laughs> make some of these positive connections. So listeners, I want to remind you if you'd like to get the show delivered to your inbox ad free, you can head to patreon.com slash the whole view, which is also a really great way to support the show that we create and produce ourselves. And sincerely, please, if you've enjoyed the show, could you leave a review saying so? It costs you nothing except about 30 Mm -hmm. seconds of your time and makes a huge difference in my ability to be able to continue to do this and to reach more people who can improve their lives from the show. And of course, don't forget to follow or subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using. As always, we appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal changes. No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can choose to become better versions of ourselves for ourselves. Thank you again, Madeline.
0: Thank you so much. I love the conversation.